the Lord be with you and also with you. Proclaim the greatness of the Lord our God and worship God on the holy mountain. We welcome you to this service of ordered worship. The liturgy, music, homily, and sacrament are offered on this Transfiguration Sunday in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at Marsh Chapel, a radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. On the first Sunday of the month, as is our custom, we welcome all of whatever age, station, or background to participate in the Sacrament of Holy Communion. Those listening on the radio may request communion in the home by calling the chapel office. We commend to you the ministry of the chapel, both its programmatic offerings and its sermonic offerings found on our website. We invite those so moved to identify as members of the chapel community simply by so signing the pew roster or by speaking with one of the clergy or by leaving a note in the collection plate. We encourage one another to continue or to commence the practice of disciplined generosity, of tithing, of percentage giving. And we invite you to ponder just what form your ministry here will take among us in the coming weeks, this Holy Lent, year of our Lord 2019. A dish to pass community luncheon follows worship downstairs and all are warmly invited. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love towards us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you always. And also may we share one, with one another signs of his peace. A lesson from the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. Moses came down from Mount Sinai. As he came down from the mountain with two tablets of the covenant in his hand, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him. And Moses spoke with them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And when he came out, and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, 
the Israelites would see the face of Moses, and the skin of his face was shining. And Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A lesson from Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 12 through chapter 4, verse 2. Since then, we have such a hope. We act with great boldness, not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. Indeed, to this very day, when they hear the reading of the Old Covenant, that same veil is still there, since only in Christ is it set aside. Indeed, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word but by the open statement of truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks. 
Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 99 with the antiphon. king, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is the Lord. Mighty king, lover of justice, you have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Extol the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is the Lord. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called on his name. They cried to the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the pillar of cloud. They kept his decrees and the statutes that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Stole the Lord our God, and worship at his holy mountain. Surely the Lord our God is holy. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. Glory to you, O Lord. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men, and the two men, stood with, the two men who stood with him. Just as, they were leaving, just, just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one of any things of any of the things they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. The single striking word in our passage from Holy Scripture, Luke 9, is departure. To be sure, Luke has more broadly added to what he took from Mark 9, written 25 years earlier. He adds that Jesus went up to pray, giving to the wild scene a liturgically human focus. He adds that Moses and Elijah spoke together of him, perhaps out of earshot or in muffled tones, another human touch in what is otherwise a resurrection scene. Luke adds that Peter and others were sleepy, human beings they, for all the glory of the transfiguration. He adds a word about their human fear. He renames, changes Jesus' appellation from beloved to chosen, a slight demotion. Luke particularly adds that they told no one about this, perhaps by way of late first century explanation as to why there were no memories abroad of this. In all, in all the narrative is utterly human in that we have a tendency, don't we, to mark the places and preserve the moments where we have encountered God. But departure, Jesus' departure is the striking gospel word in Luke today. Whether the reference to the coming Jerusalem Jerusalem event, of which his late first century readers would be well aware, was to crucifixion in Jerusalem, or to ascension in Jerusalem, or to both, or less probably to something other, we are not told. Luke's story comes down the mountain faster than Mark's, or for that matter, Matthew's. The cross is upheld in the chill of glory. The gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified announces freedom right in the teeth of disappointment, love right in the pain of dislocation, and today, grace in the hour of departure. Grace meets us, meets you in departure, whether personal or communal, departure opens the way to grace. You know this from experience when your loved ones die. Today at 2 p.m. we face the departure of a loved one, Dr. Horace Allen. 
We, our family, gathered two weeks ago to celebrate the life and faith of my father-in-law, Jan's dad, Robert E. Pennock, age 92, whose mind, heart, and soul we honored that day in love. In light of the painful outcome of the Methodist Conference in St. Louis this week, it may be particularly important to recall the best of Methodism by remembering him today. As the Romans and my Latin teacher mother would say, exemplum docet, the example teaches. Bob carried many titles over the years, including Mr., Reverend, Doctor, Professor, Dean, and others, but cherished most closely the titles father, grandfather, great-grandfather, husband, and friend. We, we who had known him so, with anguish and hope, gave him over to God. Bob loved the Lord with his mind. What an acute imaginative mind he did possess. Raised in Syracuse, a graduate of Nottingham High School where he was captain and quarterback of the football team. A further graduate, following service to his country in the Navy 1944, of Syracuse University with a master's degree in electrical engineering. He then went to Iliff School of Theology and over time earned the equivalent of today's Master of Divinity and a PhD focused on the theology, actually the ontology of Paul Tillich. He said he saw an article in Life magazine, they're educating a new kind of preacher at Iliff and promptly chose to go off to Denver. He was a natural teacher and a lifelong learner, curious, honest, and sharp. One summer night years ago, we were hiking back over the sand hill from Lake Ontario to the cottage which he so loved under the bejeweled canopy of stars in the clear night sky. He stopped and looked long heavenward saying, so many questions, so many unanswered questions. His study of Tillich was thus no accident for Tillich always began with the questions, bringing the tradition of faith to bear in faithful answers to existential questions. Into his 90s, Bob was able to preach with head as well as heart. His ministry, which included pastorates in Onega, Kansas, Denver, Colorado, Mexico, New York, Oswego, New York, they're also the leadership of the Wesley Foundation. He was the best Northern New York preacher of his generation. His preaching combined intellectual height with emotional depth and met the moment Sunday by Sunday, including November 25, 1963, following JFK's assassination with a necessarily suddenly rewritten sermon that began, we are a nation drenched in sorrow. Earl Ledden, who was later Bob's bishop in Syracuse, would play the piano in those years for singing when the ministers came together for conference, led in a humble, gracious man. That is ministry, to play the accompaniment to people's lives, Ledin would say. You shall love the Lord your God with all your mind. Bob also loved the Lord with his heart. He was a positive, optimistic person most naturally himself when setting sail, running with the wind. During an earlier illness, this so many years ago, but still a perilous malady, it was striking to hear him say, I will be all right. I will pray. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. 
At the heart of his heart were his children and their children and their children too. He could easily give way to tears when the moment arose and allowed, and he was unafraid of emotion, public or otherwise. Anger did not worry him, neither his own nor that of others, as those of us who occasionally disagreed with him can attest. He would have agreed with my own dad, who when such emotion, such anger overtook another, would say, that's fine. It's worth the, pri it's worth the, price, of emo it's worth the price of admission to see him or her so worked out. It was in his preaching that his heart, too, came through. In 1980, he preached in the Little Forest Home Chapel in Ithaca, told a story about a boy who wanted his dad to play in the annual father and son baseball game. But dad was a terrible ball player, Coke bottle glasses and a big paunch, and he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Still, son persisted, and so in terror, dad stood at the plate and easily made two quick strikes. Then he heard a voice from right field calling out, come on, dad, you can hit it. I just know you can. And wouldn't you know, by some miraculous somehow, dad swung and hit a little Texas leaguer, a short single into center field. Standing surprised but proudly at first base, he could hear that same voice from right field saying, whispering, I knew it, dad. I just knew you could do it. I can hear him telling that as if it were yesterday rather than 40 years ago. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Bob loved the Lord with his soul. He was a Methodist of the veteran liberal variety who combined, in John Wesley's way, a deep personal faith with an active social involvement, a weekly Sunday worship hour with a weekday engagement of faith in culture, society, and politics. The full humanity of gay people was affirmed. The dangers of authoritarian, mendacious presidential leadership was a given. The care of the migrant, the poor, those in bitter need was the first order of business on the Christian agenda, the lifted lamp beside the golden door. These are things we have to keep before us, always before us, he would say and did preach. He lived the freedom of the Christian and could and did acknowledge failure, defeat, and mistake, and pray not with the Pharisee but with the publican, God be merciful to me, a sinner. On his last day of life, he could mouth a greeting by name and whisper, I love you too. Would that we all could be so alive when we die. About eight years ago on a Boston visit, we talked about death and burial. He said he would be buried in Richland, far up in the Tug Hill Plateau of northern New York State, and then added, that is so comforting to me, to think of being buried there under those deep winter snows, lying at peace and quiet under those north country drifts, under that bright white blanket. In that Methodist faith, Bob was born and baptized, and in that Methodist faith, he is now dead and soon buried. You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, with mind and with heart and with soul, we shall love the Lord our God. One perceives grace in the hour of personal departure. 
second communal departure. Bob's church and mine this last week endured a communal departure, a parting of ways. In the light of his life and ministry, it may be particularly important today to face directly the collapse this week. Methodists of mind, heart, and soul today face fully the defeat of St. Louis and what Methodism has now become. The death of my father-in-law preceded by a brief fortnight the death of his and my church. The Reverend Mr. Mark Feldmeyer of Highlands Ranch, Colorado, put it this way this week. Late Tuesday afternoon in St. Louis, the United Methodist Church betrayed its most essential and enduring standard for Christian faith and practice, do no harm. The events and outcomes of the special session of the General Conference have done irreparable harm to the LGBTQ family, as well as to the majority of United Methodists who live in the United States and represent a more centrist and generous orthodoxy. It is a sad day as we confront the dark reality of what has taken place. As I am sure you know, delegates to General Conference voted to retain and reinforce policies prohibiting LGBTQ clergy and same-gender weddings. These policies and the new consequences for violating them are barbaric, shameful, and intolerable. The United Methodist Church, as we have known it, died on Tuesday, he concluded. We gather, come Sunday, with regularity to receive the Lord in bread and cup, to listen for his word, a word of faith in a pastoral voice toward a common hope. In that spirit, here are some few specific pastoral comments about the conference offered to the Marsh Chapel community present this morning and to our global listenership around the world. With many others, I supported the defeated One Church Plan, which would have allowed freedom for local churches with regard to marriage and for annual conferences with regard to ordination. Marsh Chapel, with historical ties to Methodism, but now an ecumenical university chapel, has and will continue to solemnize marriages for gay people and has and will continue to employ and deploy gay clergy. We had another such wedding submission for next year, which we happily will honor on the day the St. Louis Conference ended. Our full embrace and affirmation of the LGBTQIA community will not change at all, except that we will strive even further to energize our inclusive ministry here. If your question this morning is, what can I do? The answer at first remove is, Marsh Chapel, as you're doing, do so more and more. Today, the United Methodist Church is split. About two-thirds of the delegates from the United States supported the One Church Plan and thus supported openness to gay people in marriage and ordination as determined in churches and conferences. Opposition came heavily from abroad, especially Africa and the Philippines, and also significantly from a fundamentalist minority in the United States. 
As Dr. Stephen Cady, one of the leading young liberal voices in Methodism today, the senior minister of the largest United Methodist Church in the Northeast jurisdiction, Asbury First United Methodist in Rochester, New York, put it, some in our denomination wish to maintain our current stance, but others like me desperately wish to change it. Unfortunately, our global nature with roughly half of our denomination residing outside of the United States also means that it takes us longer to progress on social issues like these. Whether there will be an actual institutional split, and if so, how so, I cannot yet say, but I would not fear it. As to the fuller significance and effects of this, I refer you to the Marsh Chapel sermon of February 17th, two weeks ago. It may be that local United Methodist churches will begin to look more fully at what they support in global giving, especially general apportionment funds one, four, and seven, World Service, Episcopal, and Africa University funds. For those concerned and curious about the process of the conference, here are a few concluding unscientific postscripts. 43% of votes were from overseas, 30% from Africa alone. A 25-vote shift would have changed the outcome. 40 potential votes were not even cast. The total vote was 824 out of 864 delegates. The 2019 delegates were elected in 2015, but most of us are about four years older than we were four years ago. And over time, another younger group is coming. Some progressives may not have supported the one church plan, preferring to hold out for the perfect rather than supporting an imperfect but distinct improvement. You might want to think about that another time. Bluntly, this is painful, disappointing, and disheartening for all, but especially for those just emerging in life and leadership. Several students from Marsh Chapel attended the conference in St. Louis, and I am proud of their vocal leadership and faithful, faithful embrace of the, the LGBTQIA community issues. United Methodist lay and clergy conference members we want to make a point of attending annual conference this spring. The annual conference, remember, is the basic body of our church. United Methodist elections of delegates to the April 2020 general conference, only 14 months away, will be held this spring, May and June 2019. And it will be crucial, for instance, that some retired clergy who do not always attend conference but have a vote do choose to attend, and so hopefully help to move the balance of U.S. votes closer to 100% for acceptance, affirmation, and inclusion. We can expect no help, support, or mercy, neither from overseas nor from the fundamentalists. Fifty years ago, Methodism was acti actively engaged in merger discussions with the Episcopal Church. It may be time for moderate Methodism to start there again. Last month, we visited our oldest Marsh parishioner, C. Faith Richardson. Faith, C. Faith Richardson, like Marsh Chapel, is rooted in Methodist history, 
but her branches are the whole oikumeni, historically Methodist, functionally ecumenical. I asked her, how does it feel to be 103? She responded, about the same as it feels to be 101. Then we discussed the conference in St. Louis. Faith was the secretary of the 1984 General Conference and retyped the Book of Discipline multiple times, repeatedly, in that year on a Smith Corona typewriter. She responded, haven't they finished opening up the church to gay people yet? Hear the broken gospel. The leaven of Christ is obscurely present in departure, affirms St. Luke. The leaven of, grace is, leaven of grace is obscurely present in communal departure, acclaims our St. Luke today. As in humility we approach the Lord's table, perhaps the voice of Dietrich Bonhoeffer may guide us. He wrote, the question is how the reality in Christ, which has long embraced us and our world within itself, works here and now, or in other words, how life is to be lived in it. What matters is participating in the reality of God and the world in Jesus Christ today, and doing so in such a way that I never experience the reality of God without the reality of the world, nor the reality of the world without the reality of God. As we travel further along this road, a large part of traditional Christian ethical thought stands like a colossus obstructing our way.
please be seated. Good morning. We welcome you again to Marsh Chapel on this uh, Sunday of the Transfiguration of our Lord. Thank you for joining us as a part of our community of worship today, whether you are here in the sanctuary, listening on the radio or live stream on the internet, or later via the podcast. For those of you joining us in the sanctuary, we invite you to fill out your name and contact information in the red pads at the end of each pew toward the center aisle. This will help us to get to know you better and for you to get to know one another better. Today is a communion Sunday here at Marsh Chapel. All are welcome to partake in communion at this table. Wine will be served on the pulpit side um, and grape juice will be served at the stations on the lectern side. Please feel free to receive from either side no matter where you are seated. There will also be a healing prayer station under the first set of stained glass windows on the pulpit side for those wishing to receive a personal prayer of healing. We also remind you that our next Communion Sunday will be on Sunday, March 31st, instead of the first Sunday in April. Following the service, all are invited to our monthly pastage dish luncheon downstairs for food and fellowship. Uh, Lent is almost upon us, and for the sixth year, the staff and friends of Marsh Chapel are offering an emailed devotional series for the season. This year's theme is God is with us, focusing on the ways we encounter God in our interpersonal interactions in our daily lives. Devotions will start on Wednesday, March 6th, Ash Wednesday, and continue until Easter Sunday. Sign up for the devotional series on the chapel website at bu.edu chapel. A few specific announcements about events happening at the chapel this week. Uh, provided that the weather holds out tomorrow, uh, tomorrow evening, Religion on Tap will meet at Fuller's BU Pub at 7 p.m. Students over 21, faculty, staff, and alums are welcome to join us for a conversation guided by the question, what do you do when your religious institution or religious leaders disappoint you? Tuesday evening is our annual Shrove Tuesday pancake dinner from 6 to 8 p.m. in the marsh room on the lower level of the chapel. Please join us for pancakes and other breakfast foods and fun as we prepare to enter into the holy season of Lent. Uh, uh, Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday. There are quite a few opportunities to worship and receive ashes here at Marsh Chapel. Specific ecumenical opportunities include a morning ecumenical prayer service with the imposition of ashes at 8.30 a.m. right here in the nave an ecumenical communion service with ashes at 5.15 p.m. in Robinson Chapel on the lower level of the chapel, and our ecumenical Ash Wednesday service at 6 p.m. here in the nave. We hope to see you sometime on Wednesday. For all other news and upcoming events, please visit our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as the chapel website at bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. Now, as the ushers wait upon us for the offering, may we remember that it is a gift and a discipline to be a giver.
for the work before us, the life within us, the fellowship among us, and thy love that surrounds us, we give thee thanks, O Lord. Bless these gifts and the givers, we pray. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, God of all times and all places, God of, finite, of the infinite and the infinitesimal. In the blazing splendor of your glory, you called forth light from darkness, day from night, land from oceans, and life in all its dazzling array from lifeless matter. Among the living you made and called humankind, imprinting upon us your image to be bearers of your glory in the world. Though we failed to shine and hid our image within us, you continued to call us into fellowship with you to fulfill your mission for us through prophets, scriptures, priests, and a people you redeemed for yourself. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. In him we see the fullness of your glory revealed in human form. Born into poverty, he fulfilled his mother's song that you would fill the hungry with good things and send the rich empty away. Declaring the nearness of your kingdom, he forgave sinners, cast out demons, raised the dead, restored the blind and lame, visited the sick, the prisoners, and the needy, and gathered disciples to continue to declare the good news in word and deed, transfiguring the world in the power of your Holy Spirit. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself for us, he took bread, gave it to you, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us, the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world, the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. 
By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. And now with the confidence of children of God, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
May we pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen. 